All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today, Lord. Speak to our hearts today. We face challenges and trials, and, and we have decisions to make when they come up. Help us to choose faith, not fear. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to introduce you to a contrast. And we'll see that contrast through two different stories. And ironically, it's a contrast between a father and a son, both of whom are kings of Judah. And these kings of Judah, each one of them, in their generation, faced a crisis that they were pretty sure they could not overcome on their own. One of these kings will lean on faith in the hour of danger and wait on the Lord for deliverance. The other will allow fear to overcome faith and turn to something else to be his deliverer. Now I will let you decide which one of these men you want to be like, at least as far as this story goes. You already heard this, but we'll go back again. This is, uh, we're turning in the book of Second Chronicles. So I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, which is the one you have there in front of you. Second Chronicles, chapter 32. It'll also be on the screen. Chapter 32, verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. All right, let me give you context here. Hezekiah, right now, one of the kings we're talking about, is king of Judah. And he's in Jerusalem, the fortified city of Jerusalem. And, and so when Hezekiah became king, he invested himself in, in reform within the community. And he did a lot of things because a lot of what, what uh, the worship of Yahweh had, had broken down. The, the temple worship had broken down. There were a lot of things going on. And so he invested in getting the Levites back to where they needed to be, getting the priests going again, changing from all the different high places to where the worship was centered in Jerusalem again. He made all of these reforms. Now I want you to notice how this verse 1 starts. It says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. So first of all, reflect on this for a second. This terrible event happened right after Hezekiah did good stuff. That ever happened in your life? You're really working hard. You're really trying to put everything together. You're really trying to do the Lord's will. And maybe you've even redoubled on that. You've made a deeper commitment. You've, you've really focused yourself on it. And right at the end of it, Instead of everything going great, there's a huge problem. That happens to me sometimes. The second thing I want you to know here is the people at the gate are the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were really bad guys. They were known for violence and brutality on a scale I will not expound on here. Sometimes we like to think that, that atrocities are a fluke, abnormal, 
But the more you know about history, the more you know that the atrocities of the 20th century were, were not an aberration because really from the beginning, after sin came into the world, any time one group got power over another group, you could pretty well count on some kind of an atrocity. The truth is, on their own, humans just aren't good people. We just aren't. And history is filled with this. And, and these Assyrians who came from northwestern Mesopotamia, their capital city was Nineveh. Now, if you remember about Nineveh, this is the city that Jonah, the prophet, didn't want to go to. And when he finally did go there and they repented, he was angry with God because God didn't destroy them because they were so terrible. And I have to say to you, if you had been Jonah and been there, you probably would feel the same way. There was something similar to this that took place this week when uh, the, the, the person who was responsible for the shooting at the high school in Florida uh, several years ago uh, received his sentence, and instead of the death penalty, he received a sentence of life in prison. And there were some interviews with some of the parents of some of the children who died in that shooting who were incensed that he didn't get what he deserved atrocities they happen and it's hard and the Assyrians did this kind of thing all the time so here's what Hezekiah did verse 2 and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city and they helped him a great many people were gathered and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land saying why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down, and he raised towers upon it, and outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. The point I want you to get from this is Hezekiah did what he could. When you come to a crisis, to a moment of fear, you need to not let fear and danger paralyze you and keep you from taking actions that you can, even if you suspect the actions you're taking are not enough. Do what you can. One day I'm going to have Alicia come up here and tell you a story of something that took place in our family, a crisis that struck in our home where I faced this this notion of being pretty sure in this moment there was no way I could, I could solve this. But I felt like the Lord said to me, do what you can. Do what you can. Don't give up because it's impossible. Do what you can. But we also need to realize in a lot of these cases we're going to need a miracle. 2 Chronicles 32 verse 6 and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. 
you recognize those words, right? He's basically quoting what God said to Joshua when Joshua was coming up against an impossible reality. He said, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And now Hezekiah is reaching back for those words in a moment of crisis, and he's saying to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. For the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. That's actually a reach back story as well. Do you remember Elisha and his servant on the roof? With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah knew he could not match the Assyrians arm of flesh for arm of flesh. But he was hanging on to the hope that God was in the boat with him. We're in a series right now called Not Afraid, and we're talking about stories from the Bible and, and passages in the Bible where God encourages us to be not afraid. And the, and the key story that we're building it all out of comes in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 23. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, here's the key words, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The implication of this statement of Jesus is that we're not to be afraid just because life is dangerous. Life will always be dangerous until Jesus comes again and resets reality. Just plan on that. But according to Jesus, faith can overcome fear when we realize Jesus is in our boat. So I gave you a little taste of Hezekiah here, but now let me introduce you to another character, a man named Ahaz, who just so happens to be Hezekiah's father. And he reigned in Jerusalem before his son. For this story, we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. We find this written, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Razan the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, now listen to what happened. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. We've got the perfect kind of trees for that here. The aspens, you know how those aspen leaves before the wind, they, that's what he's talking about. They were terrified. Now let me give you historical context on this, why this was so, so frightening. Originally Israel was, was one people, and David was king over Israel, and then Solomon was king over all Israel, but in the days of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, a split came, and Israel broke off from Judah, 
And Rehoboam was king over, over Judah, and Jeroboam became king over Israel. Now, as the years would go by, different kings would come and go in Israel and in Judah, and sometimes the kingdoms of Israel and Judah got along, sometimes they were at war with each other. But regardless of all that, for most of those years, Israel was at war with Aram. Now, if, if you were looking at a map here, you would, have, you would have Aram here, Israel here, and Judah here. So Judah really didn't, wasn't right next to Aram, so they weren't always in battle. But Israel and Aram were almost always fighting each other. The capital of the Arameans is the city of Damascus. And that's kind of interesting because hundreds of years later, that will be the town where Paul will come to believe in Jesus. But right now, it's, it's the land of the Arameans, and they're, they're at war with Israel. Now, we have our map here. Here's Aram, here's Israel, here's Judah. Over here are the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a nation that rose up with their capital city uh, being Nineveh, and they rose to great power and began to expand and conquer the nations around them. And the Arameans knew they were in grave danger. And Israel knew that if the Arameans fell, they would be next. And so a most unlikely alliance formed between Israel and the Arameans, these two nations that had fought each other relentlessly. Now Judah was two kingdoms away. And so Judah still felt like they might be safe, that the Assyrians might never get there. And so they plotted a different approach. Judah thought, well, I'll just kind of try to make friends with the Assyrians. We'll make whatever deal we need to. But the Arameans and Israel didn't like that. So they banded together and they decided to attack Judah so that they could put someone else on the throne there. But God was not done with Judah yet, despite what evil King Ahaz was turning out to be. So let's go on. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Yashub, your son. One of the interesting things about Isaiah was God told him to name his children interesting things. Shear Yashub meant a remnant will return. So he says, go, you and Shear Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Razan of Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. 
If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Maybe you've heard that in another translation. If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. This is Ahaz's big moment. The prophet of the Lord has come to him and said, you're going to be all right. This is his chance to take a stand for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And God is trying to make it as easy as possible for him. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now don't mistake Ahaz's comment here with Jesus' comment when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. You see, Jesus makes this statement in response to the devil trying to get Jesus to put on a big show and shortcut the road that Jesus knows he has to take. But Ahaz has made a faithless statement saying, I no longer trust the Lord. And the Lord is not pleased with his faithlessness, resulting in a most remarkable prophecy, verse 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Okay, Ahaz, you want Assyria to save you instead of the Lord? Then Assyria is what you will get. But did you notice verse 14? Did you notice verse 14 when I read this? Look at this again. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Did you know this was the context of this particular text? You probably know it better from the passage in Matthew that Matthew uses to explain what's going on after he tells the story of how the angel comes to Mary and tells her you will be with child and then the angel comes to Joseph and says you need to go ahead and marry Mary because the child in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit and it is then Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 it says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Now sometimes it's a little crazy for us when we reflect on how some of the New Testament writers used the Old Testament writings because if you read the whole context of that, you might not think that was exactly about that story. Yet in those words, Matthew saw the hand of the Lord. Now there's way too much here for us to even begin to unpack, but let me at least comment on this. Isn't it amazing how God gives the promise of deliverance for all nations that will come through Jesus, 
in a prophecy spoken by Isaiah to a king of Judah who refuses to believe Emmanuel, who refuses to believe God is with us, who refuses to believe God's in our boat. Isn't that amazing that we find that prophecy right there? And it's a deliverance that Ahaz rejected. And it's a deliverance that too many in the day of Jesus rejected. And it's a deliverance that too many today reject. Now what this prophecy is saying in its own time is that Ahaz need not bother much with Israel or Aram for they are both about to be destroyed by Assyria. And indeed that's what happens. I mentioned that Ahaz refused to trust God and chose another road. Here's what he did. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 5, and then we'll do 7 through 9. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. So Ahaz sent messages to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. Do you see what Ahaz did? No, I'm not going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Assyrians. And that's not all. 2 Kings 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. Why did this all happen? 2 Kings 17, verse 22. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. That's pointing all the way back to that original separation, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam didn't want the people to go back to their old king, so he said, don't go to Jerusalem and worship Yahweh anymore. Worship here. And he made the golden calves again. It says the people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. Now just a side note here. Do you know the primary reason the Jews detested the Samaritans so much? 2 Kings 17, verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharavim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So here's what these kings would do. They would come in, they would conquer you, they would take you from your land and put you somewhere else, and they would take other conquered people and put them where you were. And you were so displaced now and so disconnected from your heritage that you were no longer a problem. And so the Assyrian king took these other people and brought them and placed them in the land, and these are the people that became the Samaritans. And this is why the Jews hated them so much.
let's leave the story of Ahaz here. And let's return to Hezekiah. Now, an interesting thing about Hezekiah, the book of Chronicles is much kinder to Hezekiah than the book of Kings is. Chapter 18 of 2 Kings says that Hezekiah was also very afraid when he heard the king of Assyria was coming and that he also stripped gold from the temple and other things and sent them to Sennacherib. He was the king who came after Tiglath-Pileser. Sennacherib, but the, but the Assyrians came anyway. You see, Hezekiah was very afraid, but in his fear he did things a little differently. Now, I don't have time to read to you 2 Kings chapter 18, but you, you should go there and read this for yourself. It's a fascinating story. What happens is in the city, they're in the city, and, and the Assyrians are in the land. They're actually, the king is in another place, destroying another city, and he sends one of his spokesmen. He's called the Rabshakah. You've got to love these names. This was the name of an Assyrian uh, minister, if you will. So he sends the Rabshakeh. And the Rabshakeh comes and he talks and he says things to all the Israelites on the wall. And he says to Hezekiah, you're putting your trust in Yahweh? Aren't you the one that destroyed the high places of Yahweh? Now you have to understand the story of the reforms. He did, in fact, destroy all these other places of worship, but that was because God said the worship needs to be in Jerusalem. But now, the Rabshak is saying, you did wrong, you destroyed those. And in fact, it's Yahweh who told my master to come and destroy you. And besides, who is Yahweh? What God has ever been able to stop us from destroying them? Did the gods of the Arameans? No. Did the gods of Israel? No. And Yahweh will not stop us either. 2 Kings 19, verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos fascinating connection in this story because Isaiah was in the days of Ahaz and Isaiah is still a prophet of the Lord in the days of Hezekiah but he's a lot older now in the days of Ahaz Isaiah went to Ahaz to try to stop him to try to get him to believe but now Hezekiah sends the messenger to Isaiah they said to him thus says Hezekiah this day is a day of distress of rebuke and of disgrace Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that Yahweh your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Kind of an interesting link there to the name of his son, right? A remnant shall return. Pray for the remnant that are left. Verse 5, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says Yahweh, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me, 
Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Ahaz was afraid, and in his fear he turned away from the Lord. Hezekiah was afraid, and in his fear he turned toward the Lord. Which do you do? Which are you doing right now? Who are you turning to in your times of fear? I'll tell you what, there's, there's two political parties in this country that would like to fill you with fear and then have you turn to them. Think that's going to work? Let's wrap the Hezekiah story from 2 Chronicles and you will see it happen just as the Lord said it would. 2 Chronicles 32 verse 20 then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. There are two moments that occur in every crisis. The first is the moment of fear, when you realize, oh no, we have a crisis. And in that moment, we face a choice. Are we going to trust in Jesus or are we going to give in to fear? If we give in to fear, the next moment is when we experience the result of our lack of faith, which can manifest itself in many ways. Compromise, loss of self-respect, violation of one's own values, separation from the community of faith, loss of peace, depression, you ever experienced any of these? But if, in the moment of crisis, we choose faith, the next moment we watch for is deliverance. Sometimes we get to play a part. Sometimes we're involved. And sometimes we just stand there and watch it happen. But when we choose faith, not fear, we face our trials with a peace in our heart that passes understanding. Now, not every story ends up with, with this dramatic deliverance. But when we choose faith, not fear, we face the trial knowing Jesus is in the boat with us. I invite the band to come back up. We're going to do a couple more songs. So I ask you again the question I asked you at the beginning. Who do you want to be? You want to be Ahaz? Or you want to be Hezekiah? Now, for the record, neither of them got everything right. Hezekiah's got his own stuff. But even in his failing, Hezekiah chose faith. And so can you. Why? Well, because 
Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus in your boat. Or as Hezekiah says, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria with all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Is Jesus in your boat? Or are you facing the storm alone? If you find yourself alone, please invite Jesus into your boat. All it takes is a simple prayer. One you pray on your own where you say, Jesus, I need you. I can't face the Assyrians alone. Who are your Assyrians? What are you facing? What is your fear? I can't face the Assyrians alone. Please be with me, because if you are with me, I can face the Assyrians and wait for my moment of deliverance. This is the prayer. Jesus, I need you. I can't face it alone. Please be with me, because if you are with me, I can face anything and wait for my moment of deliverance. Is that a prayer you want to pray? Remember what Isaiah said to Ahaz? If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. Call on Jesus today. He will come be with you in your boat. He will help you stand and face your Assyrians.